This podcast episode contains sensitive content that may be difficult for some listeners. If you find yourself becoming triggered or overwhelmed while listening to this conversation, we encourage you to pause, take a break, breathe, and reach out to a trusted source for support. We also advise listeners be over the age of 13 for this episode, as this conversation includes content related to sexual assault and human trafficking. We know this topic is difficult to absorb and understand, so we have listed several resources in the episode notes for you to have as an educational source on human trafficking. Names have been changed and left unsaid in this episode to protect Jacqueline and those involved in her story. In addition, some details of her journey have also been left unsaid due to the sensitivity and graphic nature of this topic and what Jacqueline has endured. This episode is dedicated to every survivor of human exploitation, to every child, woman, and man that have had their voices silenced, we stand for you. To the men and women that are on the front lines seeking freedom for those still in exploitation, to those fighting in the judicial system to bring traffickers to justice, to those advocating for the ones who do not have a voice, to those bringing awareness and education to your communities, to every counselor, trauma specialist, social worker, DCFS member, medical team, law enforcement members, and so many more. This episode is for all of you. Thank you. To Jacqueline, I cannot say thank you enough for being so bold and brave to share your story today. You are a walking and breathing example of strength, perseverance, and grace. I treasure you, and I hold you so close to my heart. Thank you, my friend. For those of you listening, thank you for taking time to hear a very difficult conversation. If you find that Jacqueline's story moves you to be a part of someone's freedom, please see the resources in the episode notes for how you can get involved in this fight. Everyone has a place in the fight against human trafficking. As for our friend Jacqueline, we will not be posting a picture of her or listing any social media accounts as to protect her privacy. Thank you for understanding. Now, here is an excerpt from the documentary, I Am Jane Doe. Please take care while listening. This is the United States. There's no possible way this is true. I sent her out with one of her friends and she didn't come back. Next thing you know, boom. She brought her into a life of hell. It was like shopping on Amazon. You're just a product. Well, the most popular internet site for escorts is called Backpage.com, where authorities say underage girls are sold for sex. Backpage is the Walmart of human trafficking. It's an incredibly profitable business. We will never be the family we were before she was sold on that website. We need someone to give us a fighting chance. What if it was your daughter? How would you feel then? Sixteen. They're like, if you were adult enough to do what you did to get pregnant, then you have to make the decision to keep it or not. So I chose to have an abortion because I was scared. I was more scared of what was going to happen if I didn't than what was going to happen if I did. 
and um, fear won in that in that respect. You start to build up these walls and anger, and you hate the world you're in, and you're, and you're looking for that thing to fill that void to make you feel like you're worth something, and and everything just started falling apart. They gave me the ultimatum, and um, I, I left. So we go with these two guys, and little did I know both of them were pimps. I took the choice I thought was best at that present time, not knowing that it was the worst choice that I could have ever made in my whole life. When I was a little girl, I never imagined, they said, what do you want to be when you grow up? Prostitute was not even in the realm of possibilities. Like, So I felt like God allowed me to endure and gave me the strength that he gave me so that I could endure this whole life that I had been through, but then turn around on the tail end and help others. Because you can't hold the lantern for everybody unless you've been guided from the light at some point. That was like the biggest emotional, physical, I mean, psychologically everything, the biggest purge I've ever had in my life. Because I had to be deprogrammed. There's no more shame anymore, you know? Okay, we're taking the makeup off, the jewelry, the hair, everything. No one's watching. Look at yourself in the mirror. Who are you, really? Who have you become? Who were you before? And who can you be? Hi, my name is Jacqueline. I'm a mom, a friend, a fighter, an entrepreneur, a teacher, an inventor, and a survivor. And this is my get up story. Well, hey, girl, welcome to this week's episode of Get Up Girl, a podcast inspired by women of all cultures and backgrounds who have been toe to toe in the ring of discouragement, disappointment, defeat, and how they got back up to fight. Each episode, we'll be discussing, well, all the things marriage, business, parenting, racial divides, grief, loss, and everything in between. We believe that you will be encouraged by these women through their stories. So come on, girl. It's time to get up. I'm so thrilled that we're sitting down, not for the first time, not for the second time, but for the third time to do this. <laughs> so just a little backstory. Um, I, and I just, I feel like this is so not a coincidence that it's taken us this long to do this. I think, and we'll, we'll get into this, you know, as you tell your story, but you have such a powerful testimony. And I truly believe that the enemy has tried to do everything he can to stop us from sitting here at this table. So just to give people, so they know, how long it's taken us to get here. The first time we recorded, I was still pregnant. Yes. Like big pregnant. Yes. And actually, I think after we recorded, I had Lincoln pretty soon after that. Mm -hmm. So that was in August of 2020. I didn't even get around to like even editing until I remember it was January of 2021. Edited the whole thing, went to upload it. And when I hit upload, all my computer said was audio file cannot be found and it deleted. Oh my God. It deleted our entire conversation. I, I still don't know what happened. 
So I called you. We talked about it. You were like, it's okay. We can totally, you were so gracious. You were like, we can totally redo it. It's fine. It's fine. So then, well, my husband and I sold our house. We were moving. Okay. So a couple months later, we sat down and get set up and I hit record for us to start talking and the microphones just went like ballistic. Mm -hmm. I don't, you couldn't even, it was like, you couldn't even understand the audio. Never happened ever before. (laughs) Couldn't figure that out. So I ended up getting a whole, I just bought a brand new computer. Yes. <laughs> so I kind of, thank you. Um, yes. Anyway, and I was like, we are doing this. I, this is ridiculous. So it has taken us almost a year. A year, yeah. To do this. So I just need people to understand. <laughs> like The journey, yeah, right? <laughs> like what we have gone through to oh. be here. Anyway, so I just, first of all, want to say thank you for being so patient and so gracious and just saying like, Yes, I will sit down again. Yes, I'll sit down again um, because I know your time is valuable and you've had to drive and find childcare for every time that we've done this. So I seriously, from the bottom of my heart, want to say thank you for continuing to say yes. Well, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, I just, you know, you and I have known each other for several years now and um, just being able to watch you uh, through your journey, walk with you and you've walked with me and my journey as well. And um, I just want to say how much I love you and I really do admire you. you are one of my heroes. I have learned so much from you. You constantly teach me new things and challenge me in new ways of thinking. And I love that about you. Um, but I'm just, I'm really thrilled, you know, that, that I'm sitting at the table with you today. But also, I just, I'm excited to learn from you today and for others to learn from you as well um, and to hear your story. So I just wanted to start with saying thank you so much just for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate yes. it. Yes. <laughs> Uh, for the third time, yes. yes. Yeah, third time's a charm. <laughs> um, all right, so Jacqueline, we're we're kind of talking about a, a very sensitive topic today. Um, we're going to be talking about human trafficking, uh, prostitution, and really just the sex industry in general, um, which I know, you know, over the last, I don't know, what would you say, decade maybe, human trafficking has kind of risen to the surface of more people are talking about it and hearing about exactly. it, learning about it. Um, but obviously we know this is not a new topic. No, it's been around for hundreds of years. Yeah. Thousands since, actually. Yeah. <laughs> since the beginning of time pretty much. Yes. Um, and so with your, you know, with your journey with this and um, I just want people to understand that this is a very sensitive topic. Um, so, you know, we do want to be aware of that, but also uh, we just want to learn from you today as well. And from your experience and how we, as humanity, as the church, as women, how we can all do better in this topic. Um, so anyway, I, w- I just want you to just, I'm listening, so you go for it. <laughs> well, I'm just happy to be able to tell my story. So if it does help even just one person, that is goal achieved, you know? Yeah. I think that it's it's kind of sad that um, it took so long for human trafficking to come to the forefront that it's at now as if it never existed before it just it was never given its due validity um and i believe that once we start facing our fears and our sins and just all the bad stuff in society face on that's when we can actually start doing something about it so i'm glad that it is coming to the forefront so yeah even if just telling my story helps out then i am very happy to do so absolutely well thank you and and i know you know, when, when we revisit trauma, it can sometimes be 
re-traumatizing to go back and tell our story again and again and again. I know there's healing in that too. And I mean, I just, because I've known you for so long, I, I remember when we first met and then to where we are now sitting across this table, looking at you and, and the amazing journey that you've been on and the healing that has taken place. Um, but I also know that it can be hard to go back again and revisit these places. So, um, I just want to say like, I mean, again, I want to say thank you, but also if at any point in this, if, if we get to a point where you're like, Hey, I, I can't talk about this or I need a break. I don't want you to feel like you have to push through just because like, Oh, well, I'm, I'm doing a podcast, so I have to do this. You don't oh, have to do anything. I understand. I just, okay. I just want you to know. I took that. the day off from work. We're good. Okay. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, why don't you go ahead and start and just kind of um, let us, you know, know how, how you grew up and uh, just a little bit about your backstory. Well, I kind of grew up unconventional, I would say, compared to a lot of people in the United States. I didn't grow up in, um, you know, a neighborhood with a bunch of neighbors and stuff like that. Um it was cool. It was fun. My mom was a uh, park ranger, and so we grew up in state parks all over California. Yeah. And about every four years, we moved to a new one. So there was a new beginning, and then, of course, having to get acclimated to a new environment and new school, new people. And um, But with that, though, also came a lot of trouble because it's hard for a kid. You, you start to get used to an area and used to certain people, and then you got to you know, pack up and move and go to another place. And for anybody, even people who haven't been through trauma, just knowing that having to move a lot, that that's hard on people, mm-hmm. especially kids. Yeah. And um, so growing up wasn't the easiest as far as having to move a lot. Plus, we were, it was me and my sister, she's five years younger, and, uh, and then my father, too, and my mother. Um, we were isolated out where we were. So for my mom and dad, it was wonderful. They didn't have to deal with a lot of the... Um, issues that come with along with having a neighbor right next door, you know, right. <laughs> but, um, as children, it was just me and my sister and that was it. There was no friends, you know, yeah, you had some acquaintances at school, but there, I didn't really learn a lot of, um, social skills that I believe other children learned just through living their normal lives, being around other people. Mm-hmm. And I think that was one of the building blocks or catalysts to why I am where I am at now. I was, I was also, treated a little differently than other children because um, I was the wild kid, you know, from the woods. And yeah. I was a girl tomboy, but I still wear dresses. <laughs> but um, You can do both. Yes, I can do both. <laughs> um, but I was larger than other girls and a lot stronger physically. And mm-hmm. so, you know, with kids, kids are always um, picking on each other. There's bullying. That's why I'm glad there's anti-bullying movements now, which I wish they had back then. Teachers just push it under the rug. Oh, they're just being kids. But that kind of stuff starts to wear on you. And it was, I would be kind of happy when I moved every every four years about, because then I thought, oh, I can start new. There'll be new kids. Maybe they'll treat me different. You know, maybe I won't be the oddball out. And uh, it never was that way. I was always... It's like walking around with a target on because you're different. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people can um, understand that. Mm -hmm. But um, what really started was actually when I was about 15 or 16, my mom had worked as a park ranger a long time, and the state of California wasn't giving raises to their park rangers. So my parents were like, you know, we're going to have to um, give up this lifestyle, and your mom's going to become a regular police officer with a local city, and... We're going to move to our first neighborhood, and 
it was difficult. Um, I started hanging around with the wrong kids. Well, they weren't bad kids, but they were kids that were doing the wrong things and getting into trouble, kind of like whoever would take me type of situation, you know, whoever was going to be nice to me and um, pretend to be my friend. And I started doing things I shouldn't do. And then I finally got a car. And that was really bad because now I'm mobile and I can (laughs) disappear on my parents and stuff. And they won't know what I'm doing because both my parents were working really hard all the time. So they weren't home much. And um, I was being promiscuous and drinking and partying and skipping school and doing all types of things that you shouldn't do when you're trying to prepare for a positive future life. Mm -hmm. Um. And my parents were actually, they were, they were good parents. They just weren't around a lot. They were just working so hard. And they trusted me and my sister to do right instead of wrong. But without being monitored, my sister and I just kind of did what we wanted to do. Yeah. And um, basically around 16, um, I was giving a boy a ride home. And I didn't know him well, but he was friends with a friend of mine. And um, he raped me in the car, and um, I got pregnant. Oh wow! At sixteen, it was really hard for me because I f- had to face my parents and tell them what was going on. I mean, I I hid it for a little bit until I realized I couldn't hide it anymore. Yeah. And when I told them, they were very um, disappointed. Was the word used? <laughs> Um, but they were very straightforward with me. They explained to me what my life would be like if I decided to keep the child. Mm-hmm. And they gave me the option. They said, you were adult enough to do what you did, because I didn't tell them I was raped. And they're like, if you were adult enough to do what you did to get pregnant, then you have to make the decision to keep it or not. They said, if you decide to keep it, we'll help you raise the baby. And But know that you can't go back to regular high school. You know, you're going to be stuck here taking care of the baby and there's just a lot of consequences that come with this um Mm -hmm. and if you decide that you want to have an abortion we'll be there for you as well but the rules in the house are going to change the vehicle is going to be monitored and just everything you would do I guess if you were a parent who found out oh my 16 year old daughter's pregnant you know what what are we going to do yeah so I chose to have an abortion because I was scared how I couldn't even take care of myself. How was I supposed to take care of another life? Yeah. And I ended up having the abortion, and that's when things got really rocky with my parents and I, and um, my self-esteem was non-existent at that point. And... Um, what did you... Sorry, can I interrupt you? Oh, no, quick? please, go ahead. Because um, I know, you know, abortion is, and has always been, um, a sensitive and volatile topic. Mm-hmm. Um so what was your journey like post-abortion I mean do you like you don't necessarily we don't have to talk about the actual procedure but I mean did you experience any just emotions with that or was it just kind of black and white and you were like well that's done oh it was severe emotion was it yeah it's like a roller coaster you don't know what to expect and you can only hold on for the ride and hope you don't fall off I mean Mm -hmm. I had no preparation of what to expect but uh we made an appointment at a clinic and at those days um 
it wasn't like a normal clinic where you just walk in the doors. You went to this hospital, to this certain wing, and you got in the elevator and went down to the basement. That was scary enough. You're going down to a basement, you know, right. where they're... I mean, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't like a dirty basement or anything, but that's it was in a basement level. Mm-hmm. And there was a guard out front, and you had to check in. And then you're in a waiting room, and that waiting room... I don't think I was in there longer than more than 15, 20 minutes, but it was the longest amount of time I ever felt in my life. Mm. And I just sat there looking at all the different groups of people sitting there, like a mom with a daughter or two young adults or a woman by herself. And yeah, you start to think about their stories. What are they going through, yours? And then you're trying to decide at the last minute, is this what I want? Is this what I need? Is this what's going to happen? Yeah. I was more scared of what was going to happen if I didn't than what was going to happen if I did. Mm. And um, fear won in that in that respect. Yeah. And um, what, Was anyone with you or were you by my yourself? My mom went with me. Okay. She did. But um, that changed the whole dynamic of my entire family home. Yeah. And... I was being so brutally abused at school. It was bad. I mean, I had people spitting on my car, throwing things at me, calling me beast down the hallway. People I didn't even know were ruining my locker. Just, And this was torment all day long, all the time. And I would tell my parents or teachers that nobody cared. You start to build up these walls and anger and you hate the world you're in. And you're looking for that thing to fill that void, to make you feel like, you're worth something and, and, you know, and everything just started falling apart. And eventually my parents were like, Hey, you know, they gave me the ultimatum and, um, we got to a big argument and, uh, I, I left and it was hard cause uh, my girlfriend and I at the time, she was like, don't worry about it. You know, we can go live with some friends of mine in Southern California. They're awesome. It'll be great. And give me this whole facade of this free life now on my own. Don't worry about anything. Everything's yeah. been taken care of. And we lived in Northern California. So we, we drove my car all the way down there and we stayed with these people that I didn't know. She knew them, but I didn't mm-hmm. for about a week until that fell through. And then she wanted to go back home. But at that point, I'd already given up my whole lifestyle with my parents and everything, so I couldn't go back to that. Pride was just like, you can't go back. And then the fear, too, of what am I going back to? Right. You know, I already dropped out of high school. I can't just go back. You know, I was already so far behind in credits anyways that I wasn't going to graduate. So I was like, well, I'm just going to have to figure something out. And that last day that we were down in Southern California – she um, had told me I ran into these two guys and they said that um, we could go with them and they'll give us a tour around Los Angeles before we leave and I want to do it and this one guy has a cell phone for me and all this and I'm like fine whatever so we go with these two guys I'm in the front she's in the front seat with the guy that she met I'm in the back seat and they go pick up this other guy and little did I know both of them were pimps Mm. traffickers yeah I had no idea what they looked like. I didn't know what to expect or, gosh, I was, I feel, I was so naive. I had no idea. Yeah. Really no idea. Well, and you know, we can, we can have a learning moment here. Yes. (laughs) That, you know, we typically, and, and I hope this is changing. I hope it is. But, you know, when we hear the word pimp, 
we think of like the big hat, the cane, yeah. the alligator shoes, exactly like, all that. The white suit, yeah, which is completely no, not at all. I don't know where that came from. Maybe we should research that. I don't like, know where that image of a pimp. Some seventies movie that they wanted to glorify, make look. I, I have no idea, but yeah. I'll tell you this: a pimp looks like just any like any other guy, and that's the thing that blindsided me was being ignorant mm-hmm. to the red flags that were all around because I didn't know what red flags were. Exactly, yeah. And my ignorance was my my um, demise, really. Mm-hmm. Um, if I, if I would have known, I would have been smart enough to get out of that situation, but I didn't know. Well, yeah, I mean, how, yeah. how would you have known? I mean... And um, to be honest with you, they prey on women or girls on their vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. And they're trained to know or to look for the vulnerabilities, find out what they are, and try to fulfill them yeah. to suck in that girl or woman or whatever mm-hmm. to begin the grooming process of turning someone into a product for them. Yeah. And that's what he did with me. Yeah. And I thought he was going to be this cute boyfriend. We're driving around and he's telling me how I could be a model and I'm so beautiful. And now he's fulfilling the void of my, my me not having any self-esteem. That's being filled. Mm-hmm. Then also um, offering in a solution to my financial crisis, my homeless crisis that I had at that moment because I was living out of my car, you know, yeah. basically. He filled that void and then gave me this big dream of how I'd want to live my life, you know, as a mm. model. And yeah. I'll finally be accepted by society and all this. And it was just the biggest crock of poop ever and had no what a, idea. What a great way to put that. Yes. <laughs> and well, had no idea. Yeah. No idea. And, you know, you talked about when your friend said she wanted to go back home and you were like, well, I can't go back home. I dropped out of high school. Mm-hmm. My parents pretty much said, follow our rules or get out. You got out. Yes. You know, so it's like, well, what alternative is there? I mean, when you when, when you have no choices or if you or when you have only one or two choices, that's the only choices you have. And I, I had no choice but to go for whatever I could grab a hold of to stop from sinking. And yeah. he was that lifeboat, not knowing that it was really like on fire and poisonous. Right, right. But yeah. And I, I think that's so important for people to understand because again, okay, we need to have like a little bell for like all these learning yeah. moments Ding. here. Yeah, <laughs> learning moment. Ding. But, you know, I hear a lot of people say when it comes to women in, and, and let me also just say here, we keep saying women or girls because... We we know that there's young boys and men also that are trafficking oh, yeah. victims and but, transvestites and all, yeah everything. transgender Everybody. I mean LGBT humans period yeah, humans that's a great way to put it yes um so we just keep saying women and girls because primarily it is female yes um, so I just wanted people to understand that but I hear a lot of people say when it comes to um, survivors in the sex industry it's like well they chose that life and. I think it's so important for people to hear. This is why I asked your backstory because there's always something leading into this part, mm-hmm. right? And so at that moment in your life, you know, your you said your relationship with your parents was, you know, was on the gone. rocks. Yeah. Oh, it was gone. At it was this gone point. at this yeah. point. Um, you know, you couldn't go back home. All these things were factoring into the 
to this decision. And, and really, even like you said, um, you know, you were like, I just didn't know. I didn't know what I was getting into. And of course, how would you have known, you know? And so I just, I just want people to understand that I think that's really important to hear that it's not like, well, she chose that life. I don't feel bad for her. It's like, mm, but did she really, did she really choose that life? You know, when we, because everyone has a story. Mm-hmm. And so when you take the time and you get to know the story and you're like, okay, now I see, I see. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to put myself in your position at, I'm thinking of myself at 18 years old, you know, and like, what would I have done? Probably the same thing. Well, there was two options. It was either continue being homeless in the car and then dwindle down whatever left, whatever kind of uh, dignity I had left and try to maybe beg for money or something on the side of the road. Right. I mean, Or take this option with this gorgeous guy who's got all these cars and everything. Give me this opportunity of a lifetime, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, of course I'm going to take the opportunity of a lifetime. Why would I take begging on the street, you know? Exactly. And those were the two choices at that point. Yeah. So... I took the choice I thought was best at yeah. that present time. Yeah. Not knowing that mm-hmm. it was the worst choice that I could have ever made in my whole life that just to this day I still have repercussions from. So because mm. life is all about choices, choices and choices and choices. Yeah. And the domino effect that occurs from making those choices. And it really was the worst choice I ever made in my life. Mm. Just never knew it. Yeah. But, you know, and I, and I I hear you saying that. I hear you say that's the worst choice. And, of course, I've, I've never walked the journey that you've walked, so I, I can't even begin to say, like, oh, I get it or I understand. I, I don't. But I'm looking at you on this side of that choice, and I know it's taken a long, hard road to get here, a lot of years, a, a lot of heartache to get to where you're sitting right now. But I look at the woman on this side of that choice, sitting at this table behind that microphone right there, and how your story has already and will continue to impact and change the world. And I'm not, please do not hear me say or anyone listening hear me say like, oh, it was all worth it because look at you now. That is not what I'm saying. I'm just saying like the woman I see on this side of that choice is phenomenal. And I know it's still hard. I know you said, like, you still have repercussions from it. And um, we've talked about this. You still have dreams. You still have flashbacks, nightmares. You know, All the time. That's, I mean, that's hard. And, and I know you, you know you said it was the worst choice of your life. But look at all the choices you've made since then to get you here, yeah. right here. You know, so um, those choices have changed your life as well yes. for the good. So I just think that's, again, just such a testimony to your strength and your drive, but also to God's goodness. Well, God and, had a plan, period. But all the decisions I made got me to this place. And then getting arrested kept me here. And then the program helping me change my life. Mm-hmm. I'm still here. So Yeah. And I want to talk about, you know, your recovery journey as well mm-hmm. um, later on. But can you just kind of walk us through, and you know, in as much as you're comfortable sharing, um, when you, you said you made that decision mm-hmm. to stay, was it L.A.? Did you say you were in L.A.? Los Angeles? Yeah. That's where I met him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, with that guy. And so what what was your journey like from there? Well, actually, that day that I met him, I actually was going to drive. I actually drove my girlfriend back to Northern California mm-hmm. and then came back to where he was at. Because at oh, this point, wow. I didn't know he was 
a pimp and all that. Yeah, yeah. I thought I was coming back for opportunity place to live and all this stuff. But I drove back and um, I went up to his house and I was talking to him and he's like, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. And he drove me to, I left my car at his house, um, which should have been the first red flag. Um, I drive with him in his car and he brings me to a hotel and he's like, okay, there's some other girls in this room and they're getting dressed and getting ready, um, to do some photo shoots and stuff. So go in there and they'll show you how to get ready. And I'm looking at him like, what do you mean? You're going to just drop me off at this random hotel with these girls? I don't know. And yeah, I'm supposed to go, oh, they'll help you with your hair and your makeup and dressing. And I'm like, well, okay, maybe this is the way they do it now. Like, I don't know, but it doesn't seem right, but okay, mm-hmm. you know. So third red flag, right? So ding again. Yeah. <laughs> so I go in there, and they're smoking weed, and they're drinking some alcohol, and they're getting all dressed and stuff. And, I, and I'm not stupid. Like, maybe 30 seconds into being into this room. He's already left. I'm in in some hotel. I never – I don't know where I was. Didn't have my car, you know. Mm. Um. And I'm like, okay, even if I had my car, I guess I could have driven away. But if I had my cell phone, but who am I going to call? You know, like, yeah. I don't have any friends or family that's going to help me out here. Right. And I'm like, I can't call the police. So I tell the police, oh, some guy dropped me off at a hotel. They're going to be like, okay. Like, nothing, no crime has occurred. Yeah. I was like, okay. So I know what they're doing. You oh, know? so that's when it, oh, it, it occurred. It, that's when it hit me. Yeah. Now, of course... In my mind, I'm trying to tell myself, no, that's not it. But yeah, you like surely not. Yeah, but then it, then your mind's like, yes, it is. And then you're trying to think, okay, well, if I get out of here, like, then you're trying to map out, like, what do I do? How do I leave? What about my car? You yeah. know, will he give me my car? What am I? You know, well, and all these thoughts going bang, 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 like a ping pong back and forth in my mm-hmm. mind. And um, so he comes to pick me up with these other girls. And were were the other girls? saying anything like no they were they were being they were just talking just about random stuff they were oh they were not telling me anything yeah i was considered what they call in that lifestyle a turnout Mm -hmm. um and a turnout is someone that's never done it before and you're turning them out to the game or to the lifestyle Uh, yeah so they don't want to give me any reason to run out the door you know yeah, like, you can guess sense. what they're doing, but they're not going to say it, you right. know? So he comes to pick me up, and now I'm starting to ask him a bunch of questions. Yeah. And now he's telling me, oh, you're asking too many questions. Just enjoy yourself. Turns the radio up real loud. It's now getting dark. Some's dropping. And back in 2001, the internet hadn't really gotten established. People weren't really using it like mm-hmm. they do nowadays. Yeah. So when there was any women or girls that were in the life of prostitution, they walked the streets. Yeah. And I asked him, I said, so do you have my car keys, though? You know, just in case, you know, we get, you know, oh, no, I got them. I'll give them to you at the at the end of the night. And he goes, and I want you to make $1,000. I make, make $1,000? Well, what am I supposed to do? Oh, here, walk with this girl. I can't remember her name. He gives me to one of the girls who's basically like one of his seasoned girls, um, and she was supposed to train me on what to do. Yeah. Um, and he's like, get out of the car. And I'm like, stuck. And I'm thinking, okay, I left my car at this dude's house. I really honestly don't know where he lives. I didn't like write down the address. Okay, so now this guy has my car, all my belongings. I can't call my parents. If I told the police, I wouldn't even know where to start of who he is, his real name, where my car is, all that stuff. Yeah. I got to play this smart 
like, how am I, what am I going to do? You know? And, uh, anyways, long story short, at the end of the night, he picks me up. I don't have any money. And, um, he tells me, okay, well, you're going to go with this other girl. Um, and, uh, go back to the hotel, get some sleep. Well, what I didn't know is that they had drugged me. I don't know what they gave me or whatever, but I fell asleep in the car and I woke up the next day and I was in Arizona. That was on purpose to get me away from my vehicle and what I knew. I'd never been to Phoenix, Arizona. I didn't know. Yeah. But pimps primarily keep you on the move. Mm -hmm. So you'll show up in another state where you don't know where you're at. You don't know anybody. You don't have any resources. And now you're stuck. So what choices do you have again? Those choices. Again, yeah, right. And now I'm in this situation that I was never prepared for nor taught how to get out of. Mm -hmm. So... I'm walking down the street and this guy pulls over, this old Mike middle-aged white man. He says, do you want a ride? I was like, yeah, can you give me a ride towards downtown? I need to go to the Greyhound station. Because mm-hmm. I'm thinking if I go to the Greyhound station, maybe I can, you know, panhandle for some money to get a ticket back to L.A. and then try to figure it out from there. Yeah. Well, the car got into his undercover police officer. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And they were doing a sting operation with all the girls working on that street. And they arrested me for loitering for the intent of prostitution. I never said anything about prostitution. All I asked for was a ride. But because I was dressed the way I was dressed in that area, I got arrested for prostitution and spent three days in jail um, in Arizona. And uh, that was the beginning of everything. And I was trying to tell him, you know, I'm, I'm not... You know, this is not me. This yeah. this. And he tells me to shut up. He's been doing this longer than I've been spreading my legs. And I'll never forget that sentence that he said to me. God. And to this day, it still rocks my world. Yeah. I need to shut up because he's been doing this longer than I've been spreading my legs. And that mm. was it. So my one cry for help to the police that I thought might be able to save me. Yeah. Or help me in that situation was shut up because I'm not, I'm nothing. And I'm lying. And that was right. it. So now I know the police aren't on my side. Oh, that just like, that just makes my stomach turn. And I think, again, here's another great education moment, you know, that we can learn is especially in how to be better. And I, and I know, I know you're not saying all police and law enforcement think this way. I I understand like. Oh, no. I mean, my mom was a police officer and she was compassionate with people. Right. You know, it. No one person is like anybody else. Yeah. And, you know, that that police officer was probably uneducated, maybe a little jaded from what he had seen or been jaded through. Jaded is the capital word right there. Yeah. Because if you deal with enough people like that, it probably is, shut up, I don't want to hear it, you know, I yeah. know what I'm doing. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, whatever. Right. Not even taking the time to look at me, my age, Yeah. the way I'm talking, the questions. way I'm acting. And I, and I don't know if this was true in your case, Um with that specific trafficker from California, but I know it's very common in the industry for traffickers. Part of the grooming process is to, to train their girls, so to speak, to not go to the police because you can't trust the police. They're not on your side. And it's one of those tactics to keep them away from law enforcement. But in this case, that was proven true for you. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, I just didn't trust him because I thought, well, what about the next one just says the same thing to me. So what's the point? Yeah. So now I really have to, like, now I'm stuck in jail and I'm trying to figure out what am I going to do. In a different state. In a different state. And when I finally got out, um, I had got a ride um, 
to the Greyhound station again, the one place where you could get on a bus without an ID and with barely any money and travel where you had to go. I went there and I met a man um, who offered me uh, a room at a hotel that he managed. This is at the Greyhound station? This is at the Greyhound station. And I wanted to go back to California, but I thought, well, maybe if I could work there for a week or two, I can get a little bit of money under my belt. So when I go back to L.A., at least I can get a hotel maybe or something while I'm trying to figure out where my car is. And, you know, just have a little bit of – because at this point, you have to think primary things, food, shelter – the bare necessities absolutely so, yeah, i mean it's survival at this point oh it's 100 percent survival yeah because you know i never had to think when i lived with my parents about where i was gonna get my food from because it was always there yeah i never had to think well where am i gonna sleep because there was always a place so now that everything that i've ever had was taken i was like okay wow life just got really real and then you start to feel more compassion for people that you see sitting on the side of the road that don't mm. have anything because you're like, dude, I get it. I get it. No matter what got you to that point, you're at that point. And I've been right. there. Yeah, you've walked it. Yeah. 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 But um, he turned out to be a pimp. And he kept me for two weeks inside the hotel against my will and had guys coming in and out. When I finally was able to get away from him and leave Arizona... And come mm-hmm. out to California. Now I've been so jaded, so messed up, so like recycled through my worst nightmares that I didn't even know I had. Mm. Now I gotta find my car, and that was the beginning of uh, my entrance into that lifestyle. How long were you in the industry total? Off and on till I was thirty-two. And you, you entered at eighteen. Uh huh. So I mean. That, I'm surprised they even got out because most people don't. Yeah, which I want to talk about that in a second, too. Yeah. But um, you're right. Most people don't get out of the industry. Um, but, you know, I, I again, here's another teaching moment. I just think it's so important for people to hear how quickly it can change and someone can get into that lifestyle and, and not even realize it. And then, like you said, then you're you're stuck. And for people who who don't have they don't have family they don't have anywhere to go that you know like you talked about runaways huge huge deal when because someone's running away from home for a reason right it is something's wrong something's wrong that's why you're running away and so when when a trafficker or a pimp like you said I, i heard a definition one time that human trafficking is an exploitation of vulnerability 100 percent. yeah and so when a trafficker picks up a young girl or a young boy or that's run away from home well right then that person's life has changed forever right because they're like well I can't go back to where I came from I ran away because I was getting abused or I was getting neglected I was starving whatever it may be so I can't go back there so I might as well stay here right again that choice is kind of made for you yes and then they also offer you this essential family yeah that like a camaraderie a camaraderie yeah like like a unit that you want to be a part of because most people want to be a part of something yeah it's the same thing in prostitution yeah well and then you know too and and just like what I've learned you know just being with you and listening to you too is that like once you're once you're in that lifestyle it's like well no one else is going to understand these girls get it they're the you only know, ones, they're that, the only ones it. that get it. Yeah. And so it does kind of become 
a, a familial mm-hmm. unit. Like uh, that word is perfect unit because it's like, well, no one else is going to understand me or where I've come from. But these these girls right here, my girls understand it. Oh, and pimps will tell you that, too. If they're like, well, even if you did leave, you know, no man's going to ever want you again. We're the only ones that will ever understand you and the only ones yeah. that will ever be there for you. Your and that, family... that really starts to take root in your mind. Oh, yeah. It's brainwashing. Yeah. Yeah, it's like systematically breaking you down and molding you into this creature that they mm-hmm. need to keep their pockets big. Yeah. And I, I want to, okay, I want to talk about two things. But first, I'm going to ask you this question because I hear this question a lot. And I, I know you have too. Why don't, why didn't you just leave? I hear that question like, well, if it was so bad, why didn't you just leave? Or why don't they just leave? They can leave if they want to. Can you shed some light on that for us? I could leave, but to where? Yeah. Where am I going to go? To who? To what? Mm-hmm. If I leave the guy, I'm literally just walking down the street with what's on my back, and that's it. You can't call the police and ask for help because they'll laugh and hang up on you. Like yeah. there's, there and back then there was only one program that was out there, and they would drive by and, and try to stop girls. It was it was a thing called Children of the Night, but they would only help yes. girls that were 17 and under. I've heard I've heard of them. Yes, and they were all over the country. Mm-hmm. They they wouldn't even bother with us if we were eighteen or older. Oh, because you're an adult. Because we're law. an adult by law. Oh. So by law we're choosing to be there. When again, like Got we it. just talked about. Yeah. So, um, there is nothing. There's no one. I don't yeah. trust the police. I don't trust the pimps. I don't trust the clients. My family doesn't want to talk to me. I have no friends. When you're literally alone in the world, leave to where? At least you know if you turn a date you'll have money for a hotel room for the night maybe you could get some food at mcdonald's and have a bed to sleep in with nothing attacking you for a night yeah and yeah that's a horrible thing to have to say that that's what you have to do but at least it gives you that temporary needs that you need at least for that night yeah well and again it's survival Mm -hmm. and when you're in survival you know i always i think this is kind of a silly example but i think of those um, reality shows like where people are just dropped off in the woods or you know no it is like and that it, though and they go yes. they start doing things that you never would have dreamed like they're eating weird bugs like and Naked and Afraid is one of them yes yeah. yes and it's like you're, we're watching this on television and we're like oh my gosh that dude's eating a beetle or a tarantula or whatever and it's yeah. like I would never do that but until you're in that situation you have no clue what you would do mm-hmm. And so when that survival instinct kicks in, it is literally whatever it takes to get through to the next day. And that's the hard part, because then when you're in survival mode for so long, all you understand is survival mode. Right. And then try to be deprogrammed. I'm so glad you said that. Well, trying to be deprogrammed out of survival mode is the hardest thing you'll ever have really have to go through, you think, because retraining your own brain, because you're your own worst enemy, retraining your own brain to learn how to act the way people want you to act to live in society like a upstanding citizen of the community you yeah. have to retrain everything that you know yeah as a human being and get out of survival mode and that's hard when that's all you've ever mm. known yeah so the phrase just go get a job kind of takes on a different meaning when when you look at it that way yeah so insightful i think you you really blew that question out of the water you know of, well why didn't you just leave um, 
so uh, thank you for answering that because I, I just I hear that one a lot, and I know you have too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted you to to educate us on that one. Um, okay, so you said that you um, that first month that was your introduction into the lifestyle. Uh, you were in and out of the industry from eighteen until thirty two, mm-hmm. and let me ask you this: did did you have a pimp or a trafficker the whole time you were in the industry? No. Okay. No. Because you realize what you can do on your own, the mm-hmm. same thing they were doing. Because once you start building your main tools and the internet got to the level it's at now, you can yeah. basically um, you can um, advertise yourself. Well, and you just said something that, that I hadn't thought of yet, but uh, that one thing that pimps and traffickers do is, you know, you don't want to be without a pimp because then you're on your own. You don't have any protection. So yes. pimps are this picture is painted of them that they're your protector and your provider. I'll keep you safe. Mm-hmm. I'll make sure nobody harms you. When in reality, they're the ones doing exactly the harming. They're not protecting them for nothing. Right. Well, it's, it's all lies. Yeah, that's what I was just about to say. It's, it's such lies. a myth. So can you talk about how you got out of the industry? Because like you said earlier, a, a lot of a lot of women don't. No. A lot of survivors don't. So how? what was your story of how you got out? Well, I've tried multiple times and gotten out and get sucked back in for one reason or another, mostly money. Yeah. Actually, always money. Yeah. I've been to college a couple times. I've held jobs where I was manager of different places, and I ran businesses, so it's not like I'm incapable, but financially and emotionally not ready. Yeah. And when things get bad and you have nothing, you end up resourcing back to that. But this time was different. Because I didn't know I was pregnant, and when I got arrested, I finally found a a program that was actually built to allow women like myself to have a chance to change our lives. Yeah. And they actually cared. And it blew my mind. And I thought it was too good to be true, but I didn't care because I was pregnant and I needed somewhere to go. So I was like, yeah. I'm applying, you know. Well, and again, sorry, I just want to pause right here. Again, well, you said you didn't know you were pregnant when you got arrested. No. So you found out in jail. Yes. So not only are you still in survival mode, now you're pregnant. Yes. And, okay, I have just was pregnant. <laughs> and so now that I've walked that road, and you and I have talked about this, mm-hmm. now that I've walked that road... I can't, I literally cannot imagine. I cannot imagine. Yeah, I was so, about three months pregnant and found out. So that survival instinct is like, boom, like heightened. Oh, yeah. Anyways, I ended up here and I started the program and that was like the biggest emotional, physical, I mean, psychologically everything, the biggest purge I've ever had in my life because I mm-hmm. had to be deprogrammed. Yeah. And... Being well, it's like you said earlier, like hard. retraining yes. your brain. Yes, and when I went to go see my counselor, I was thinking to myself, am I crazy? Like, was I born? Was something wrong with me, you know? Mm-hmm. And the only thing my counselor said I had was emotional disassociative disorder, where I disassociate my emotions. And she said the reason you did that is so you could survive. Mm. She said most people that are in human trafficking have emotional dissociative disorder because you have to be able... To tuck your feelings behind, mm. and like in like, and like in the movies when a woman gets raped once and like her whole world falls apart, and that's the whole movie, you know, like yeah. her whole downward spiral of the after effects. 
we didn't have that of even having the downward spiral yeah we don't because we have to physically get over it get over and get back yeah so i had to go through a lot i had to uh meet with counselors i had to take a bunch of classes that would enlighten me Mm -hmm. to a new way of life enlighten me on what i had been through the reason why and what i could do to change that and then classes to to teach you who who you are or to mm-hmm. find out who you are mm-hmm. and then also to teach you about God and how he loves you and how that love could be the fulfillment of the hole you have inside of you mm. instead of trying to find other things to fill that void yeah not knowing necessarily that that's what you needed the whole time because I had no idea yeah I wasn't religious at all right you know so and that was another hard thing, too, because everybody's pushing Jesus down my throat. And I'm like, dude, you OK, I, I respect it. You guys believe, you know, and all this, but uh-huh. I don't. So please. And I don't trust anybody either. So I'm still trying to be like, oh, my God, these people are like a cult. This is crazy. <laughs> but I ain't got nowhere else to go. So I'm going to roll with it. <laughs> and then I'm living in a house with all these other girl, women, girls, whatever, that are going through the same thing I'm going through with all different backgrounds. Yeah. Yeah. And that's hard. I mean, you're living. And you're pregnant. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, and we're still pregnant, by the yeah, way. Yeah. And we're still pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, it was a lot. That is a lot. Yeah. Okay, so I want to I want to touch on a couple of those things. All right, so, and this is how you and I crossed paths. Yes. Um, so this is where our journey starts together. Yes. But uh, when when we met you, you were in jail, and at the time I was working for this ministry that you're talking about. Um, you were in jail, and uh, basically what happened was um, we worked with the court system, and you were technically court ordered to the program, but only for six months. Correct. And then you complete your six months. By choice. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, by choice. Yeah, you had the the choice to say, you know, yeah, I'll take it, or nope, I'll just do my jail time, get out, go do my own thing. Yeah. Um, You said yes, so you came into the program, but here's what I love, one of the things I love about you. You did your six months, so technically, by the judge, you were free to go. You could have left, peace out, done your own thing the program in its entirety was 18 to 24 months that was our like on the program side the full thing was 18 to 24 months you were only court ordered for six when your six months was up i remember us talking in my office and i said (laughs) well technically i mean you're free to go if like judges signed off on it you can go if you want and you were like no i want to do this thing i want to do the whole thing and you did yeah. And I think that and, I'm, just... and I was looking at you like, where do you think I'm going? Like, <laughs> you're like, you're like, I'm not going anywhere. Me. Yeah, I'm here now. <laughs> and I mean, you had your son mm-hmm. during your time in that program who's now about to start kindergarten, which blows my mind. I know. Um, Gosh. I mean, so many huge milestones. You've shared your story at church. We go to church together. You've shared your story at church. You've shared your story in trainings. I mean, like, just all the amazing things that you've done again because you made a choice to say no I'm going to do this thing I'm going to see it to the end uh and you did the hard work there were some really hard days real hard days oh yeah um but you did it and I think that I just think that is so amazing that you had you know I say the choice I I I don't you know what I mean by that but according to the court system yeah you they were like you're good to go you were like "Mm, no I'm going to see this thing through 
Um, and I just think that speaks to your character. But when you came into the program, you had mentioned you weren't religious. Uh, you did not believe God, Jesus, oh, no. the gospel. Um, and I remember we had a lot of conversations. <laughs> like I yeah. said, you would challenge. You would challenge. You'd be like, well, what about this? And I would go, mm, don't know. <laughs> I'm going to go find There was an a lot of, I don't know. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be back. Yes, I'll be back. Um, and, but I, that's another thing I love about you is, is you, you challenge and not in like a, not in like a disrespectful or like your dumb way, but you challenge ways of thinking and you challenge belief systems and you're like, well, why do you believe what you believe and why, you know, um, and I, I love that about you, but yeah, so we had a lot of Jesus conversations and a lot of those hard conversations. And I remember the day that you, it switched and you were like, I, I think I want to give my life to God. And I, I mean, I was just sitting there like, huh? <laughs> like what? And then after that, you got baptized. Yes. Oh my gosh. I was a puddle in the back. I was in the back of the sanctuary. Just like, <laughs> I cannot believe I'm witnessing this day. It absolutely incredible. Um, I mean, and now like, and I just, Jacqueline, just look at like, again, because of a choice you made. Now you're raising your son mm-hmm. to believe in God. I mean, you, Oh, just so much. Oh, you know what's so cute? At the dinner table, he leads prayer at the dinner table every night. He does. I can't. It's cute. I can't. Um, But yeah, and so now, you know, we, now we have God conversations in a different light. Yes, a different light, (laughs) different context. Yeah. Uh, But it's just absolutely incredible, like what God's done in your life. But um, anyway, I I don't want to, sorry, I interrupted you to backtrack and talk about those things, but... Um, so in your, your journey, your recovery journey, Mm -hmm. what would you say was one of the biggest challenges of that? The biggest challenge was first stain. Yeah. Because everything in you says, I'm an adult. I want to leave. This is getting hard, you know? Yeah. And in survival mode, you're like, if this is not working, just go, you know? And there was many moments where I had issues with other women in the program. And then I had people challenging me and people lying and all kinds of stuff. And I just wanted to leave. I was like, I'm not doing this. I uh, And then they would even, some of them, some of them were going through the same stuff. They're like, I'm not doing this. I'm just, and I'd be like, well, just stay, you know, just stay. And if you just stick it through, eventually you have to come out the other end, rainbows and sunshine. I mean, it can't be bad forever. So, yeah. 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 I stuck with it, and that was the hardest part. Yeah. But deprogramming was very tough as well. Yeah. Because you had to really sit there and look at yourself in a mirror and be like, okay, we're taking the makeup off, the jewelry, the hair, everything. No one's watching. Look at yourself in the mirror. Who are you really? Yeah. Who have you become? Who were you before? And who can you be? And it's like the before, now, and after. Mm Mm-hmm. And... I don't think anybody just really has the time in their lives to just sit and reflect on who they are and just, that's why I wish everybody could just go through a program where they could just really we all need work to through that. it. No, really though, yeah. because you will come out the end so much better. That's hard to do. And, and I will say most people don't do that. And so the fact that you did it day in and day out for two years, huh? I mean, who, who, who has done that? I haven't. You know what I mean? I mean, day in and day out. It was really hard. Yeah. Because it was five hours a day, seven, five days a week for two years. For two years. Yeah. yeah. And it never really stopped. I mean, it did, but it didn't. 
Yeah. Because you're still reflecting and there's still trials and tribulations. Yeah, and absolutely. They're not anything close to what they were with that. But mm-hmm. um, I just wish that the type of program that I went through, something of that nature could be multiplied and continued on in every state in the U.S. so that every woman could get a chance to yeah have a have another choice yeah you know to be given that yeah yeah absolutely it's a well, resource and, and i know can can we just talk about like your dreams for the future oh yeah because i know that's something that's on your heart yeah to do that i feel like the holy spirit has told me that that's what i'm supposed to do yeah or at least help facilitate it in some manner mm-hmm. and i'm thinking oh god really I was like, do you know how big that is? Like, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. And then it comes back again. And you're like, eh. yeah. And then so I started doing the research. And when I'm up at late night, I can't sleep. I look up different jobs that are similar to what I want to do in different states. And mm-hmm. what are the requirements? What's necessary for the program? I look up different programs all over the country. And then I watch documentaries on people around the world that are doing stuff like this. And then I watch yeah. podcasts and I try to educate myself as much as possible mm-hmm. on every possible avenue so that when the time comes, I'll be as prepared as possible because you're never really prepared for anything. But yeah, but uh, that's my dream for the future. Mm-hmm. Now, I also had to sit back and think, too, though, how is this going to affect my family? I have two little boys, you mm-hmm. know, are they going to, when they grow up, they're going to know what I went through. Now I don't have to do it. I could hide it and they'll never know, or I could own up to it and make it a positive rather than negative. So I felt like God allowed me to endure and gave me the strength that he gave me so that I could endure this whole life that I had been through but then turn around on the tail end and help others. Because you can't yeah. hold the lantern for everybody unless you've been guided from the light at some point. Yeah. So that's what I that's what I want to do. Yeah, and that's I, I, I absolutely think you're the most equipped and qualified person to do it. Um, you've experienced it. You've walked it. And I love that you said you try to educate yourself because you, you're, you love to educate yourself, but you're also an educator. <laughs> <laughs> you, you educate others and I've all I've told you that you're you're such a natural teacher like you just and even watching you while you know that time that you were in the program and and you know new women would come in and out of the program and you know some would stay for a little bit some wouldn't stay very long some stayed the whole time but you were such you always took people in you showed them the ropes hey this is what we do hey listen this is going to be overwhelming at first it's okay that's normal you, you were such a, just a, a teacher and a leader, even in that regard, you know? And so I love that that's your dream for the future. And I'm excited to, to see you get there because I think you're the best person for that job. You know, well, thank you. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm serious. And uh, I mean it. And, you know, I, I'm glad you brought up your family because I wanted to kind of circle back to them. Um, as far as your relationship with your parents, it, it, did they ever know that, you were in that lifestyle? Oh, yeah. They did? When I first got arrested that day in Arizona uh-huh. by the police officer, I had, when I found out that I was going to jail, because I had never been to jail before in my life, mm-hmm. I actually called them because I was going to try to plead uh, Okay. for maybe them to 
help me or something or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not get a hold of them, but they found out where I was at. And my mom pulled some strings and talked to the detective. And the detective told her what I was doing out there. Ah. Or painted the light of what, what he thought you, I was right, doing out there. Right. So at that point, I was a prostitute in their eyes. And I didn't talk to my dad for a while after that because he thought, I remember one discussion I had with him. He couldn't handle it emotionally. He told me I was disgusting. I was just uh, disgusting. Uh, now, that was just him and the way he dealt with his emotions. We got over that. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom, she I don't think she even knew what to think. She was just all over the board with it because she, she'd been a cop. She'd seen it all, you know? Yeah. But now it's her own kid, it's, you know? Yeah. But um, my dad passed away two years ago, which was really hard because it was right after I graduated the program. Like, he knew how far I had gotten, Aww. you know? And my mom, she, we rebuilt our relationship. We talk actually every day. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I just told her, what are you doing? Make an omelet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, just that's how we talk now. Yeah. So, um, and I've talked to her about everything now. Yeah. We're, our, oh, our dialogue is completely open. Ugh, There's no more so shame great. anymore. Uh, I love that you've mended your relationship, you know, with your mom and with your dad too before he passed and um, with your son and, you know, because your oldest son still lives with your mom is that right? yeah he still lives there yeah um but y'all talk all the time oh and yeah just watching your youngest son grow up i mean it's just I, I i love to see how god's restored that um familial unit for you it's amazing well god i don't think god ever well i know god never intended for us to, to be who we are sometimes when we grow up like when i was a little girl i never imagined they say what do you want to be when you grow up prostitute was not even in the realm of possibilities like yeah. I said I wanted to be a singer and an actress you know and mm-hmm. somebody else say a doctor or a dancer like and when you're a little kid in a naive beautiful world you don't you never think of all the things that could happen when you're an adult yeah and there's many times I used to sit back in jail and think about that like why am I here like I could have been a CEO of a a company I could have been this or could have been that and then you have to stop with the coulda shoulda mm. where am I at now what can I do to get out of it yeah you know yeah but there was never any hope for a future and now there is mm-hmm. so regardless of whatever it turns out to be at least it's better than what it used to be mm. and yeah. I'm happy about that yeah absolutely yeah so okay I'm, I'm gonna end with this question what is some advice or wisdom that you could give to us, whether that be the, the church as a whole, the body of Christ, are just people, humanity? <laughs> what can we do better for survivors of human trafficking or the sex industry in general? I think if um, prevention is the biggest thing. Uh-huh. And, of course, you can't necessarily prevent what someone's going to turn out to be but I think if parents are a little more aware of what their children are doing and then also educating them as to what the world really is before they get out there mm. and for the church I think that they need to allocate more time to programs like that 
it's good that they go to foreign countries and help out with water systems and feeding and stuff like that. And I understand that people all over the world need help. Yeah. But I think if some of them were to spend a little more time in their own backyard mm. and work their way out. That's good. Like a circumference. Yeah. That um, a lot of things could change just in their own town. And I know some are. Yeah. I love that. I love that you, you said just start in your own backyard. That's yeah. so much truth packed into that. Well, uh, again, Jacqueline, I just can't, I can't say thank you enough um, just for saying yes and uh, trusting me with your story. I do not <laughs> take that lightly. Um, and you just, you hold such a special place in my heart. You, um, I mean, good Lord, you brought me a gift today. <laughs> Like for me and my son. I'm yeah. like, what? Um, I'm like, I should be bringing you gifts for, no, you're for doing fine. this. But, you gave uh, me a gift of life. That was good enough. <laughs> oh, God. Um, a but, renewed life. <sighs> you know, I, I consider you a friend. Um, and to watch you walk this out, I have watched you in some really low lows and some really high highs and everything in between. And I just want to say thank you for walking with me. Um, being patient with me, helping me learn, um, being patient with me while I learn <laughs> all those things. But, uh, you know, I just think of all the, all the things that you've, you've been there for so many big moments for me. I mean, you, uh, you came to my baby shower. Oh my God, you came to my, and you know, I mean, you just, you checked on me after I had Lincoln and, um, you've checked out, you've called me just randomly since then. Hey, how are you doing? You need anything? You good? Um, and I just, that, means the world to me that you've done that um and that you've just been there you know you've just been such a constant in my life and I hope that you are for years and years to come um because I treasure you and I adore you and you just you're you you really are one of my heroes oh <laughs> and what you've walked through and how you've come out on the other side I just watch you in awe <laughs> and I know that God is all over your life and I just want you to know that you make me better and so I just want to say thank you. Well thank you because if it wasn't for you being the mama bear when I needed one I wouldn't be where I'm at either oh. Well, because that was that was the role you played for a long time. Oh. I had to count on you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just, at my baby shower, and I, I I may just tear the page out and frame it. I don't know. But uh, you signed my baby book, and I didn't see it until way later. It was way after the shower. I think it was a few <laughs> days later, actually. But, well, there was a lot of signing in that book. <laughs> uh, but you, um, you signed my baby book, and you said, to the woman who was a mother to so many, now gets to be a mother to her own. And those words have like just stuck on my heart. And um, I just, again, want to say thank you for that too. I, I don't, I really don't remember anything else that anyone signed. <laughs> <laughs> that I read that and I thought, Oh my star. I mean, it just, I cried. Oh gosh. I cried when I read that. I read it to Philip. I read it to my parents. Um, but uh, that those words have stuck with me. There was truth there. Thank you so much.
You might not have known it, but there was. Thank I was you. there for four years. I saw a lot of people come and go, and you were the mother constant there. Thank you. Yeah. Oh. See, we all get to cry. It's I awesome. know. I'm all snotting <laughs> over here. I don't have any uh, tissues or anything. I'm using my shirt. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, let's get to some. Let's get to our fun wrap-up questions. Yes. Um, I always love these. Just a little insight to your day-to-day. Uh, okay. So, what are three things that you do every day? Three things I do every day. Um, I usually listen to either Spanish guitar or um, some kind of mood enhancing music at some point mm-hmm. to chill. Yeah. I always think of you when I hear Spanish guitar. Yeah, I have to. <laughs> I have to. I have to be able to be in de, de- chill mode. Yeah. Um, um, oh, I always have to do foot exercises. What do you mean? Well, when I was in the lifestyle, I got shot in the foot by a client, and it mm. messed up my bones. So to this day, I have severe foot pain just walking around. I have to stand all day on my feet at work. Yeah. So every morning, I have to do these exercises on the bottom of my feet so that I can walk. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, just small little things. Sorry, that's a drag, I know. But, <laughs> but that's one you, thing I do every day. You have to do that every day. Yes. <laughs> and I tell my son that I love him more than anything in the whole world every Aww. day. Yeah, and I tickle them. You got to tickle them. You got to tickle them. <laughs> that curly-headed nugget. <laughs> and then I squeeze them three times, and I go, mine, 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 and yeah. he loves it. Oh, that's yeah. so sweet. Yeah. I love that. Um, all right, so you said you love to educate yourself. So oh, yeah. do you? are you a reader, or I know you said you watch a lot of documentaries. What What's your main way of educating yourself? My main way is uh, usually documentaries and stuff like that or listening to um, NPR news uh-huh. or going online and watching uh, podcasts and things like that on there. Mm-hmm. I'm not really into reading books and magazines anymore because it takes too long for me. <laughs> yeah. And the, it doesn't come alive like TV does. Right. You know, or voices. I want the whole interaction. You want the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the experience. Yes. Yeah. So what are some maybe of your most in, like documentaries or podcasts or something that's really influenced you that you would recommend to other people? Ooh. Maybe even on human trafficking, you know, if you have any. One of them on, it's called Trafficking. I think it's called Just Trafficking. That one was really strong. It'll make you cry. Is it? Uh, I think it was Netflix. Is it graphic? It's definitely adult. Okay. But I mean, really anything in that arena is going to be adult well true yeah true and you know you said something to me once about talking about this topic and you know talking about with your kids and your family and your neighbors Mm -hmm. you know um you said people like to sugarcoat it and maybe like not say the words or you know not like well we don't want to talk about that part of it but we'll talk about this part of it and you said something so profound one time you said but if you if you want if you really want to know then you got to know yeah. Like, and you got to know all of it. Yeah. And a lot of those documentaries on human trafficking in the sex industry, they, they are pretty graphic and, and rough and it's hard it, and it should be hard. It should be hard to watch. If it, if it's not hard to watch, I feel like maybe we need to reevaluate. If it's not hard to watch, either they didn't do what they were supposed to do on the TV show or, you know, more than you thought you did. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, it, it, so it is hard. So I will, um. I'll find that documentary you're talking about. I'll link it in the episode notes with, with a little warning that, hey, this is a adult content. Yeah. Um, what are some of your favorite podcasts? I don't know. There's this one by 
this woman named Leanne. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I like your podcast. Zing. Only because there's you. just a wide variety of women and stories and backgrounds. Yeah. And you learn through people's stories. Absolutely. Because if you think about the history of music, music started, which, what, what was it? It was a story that was saying to you. Yeah. And I think that people's stories are a way of us being able to, you know, provide lessons and stuff through history and lineage and stories are everything so that podcast is a big one and i love npr they have the best stuff on npr yeah i can't even tell you one just just gotta watch listen to them all listen on the way to work (laughs) yep all right and then uh my last question for you is what is what is something about you that would surprise people oh probably a lot um I speak multiple languages. I sing uh-huh. a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Which They're, one's your favorite? Spanish. Spanish. Yeah. Well, hence the Spanish guitar. Yeah, Spanish guitar. <laughs> yes. And it's a good way to be able to communicate with different people. Yeah. And communication's a key, so. Definitely. Yep. That's what makes the world go round. Yep, yep. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Jacqueline, just for coming and hanging out and sharing your story and just being a light in the world. We need more of you, so. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for joining us today for what we know is a very difficult and heavy conversation and topic. But we hope that you leave encouraged by Jacqueline's testimony today and that, yes, as daunting as this topic can be, there is hope, restoration, redemption, and freedom on the other side with Jesus, as we heard today with Jacqueline's story. And y'all, it starts here with you, with me, with all of us. So don't forget, make sure you check out those resources in the episode notes for how you can get involved in this fight against human trafficking. And we will see you right back here next time on Get Up Girl.